but I walked away from from a fantastic job at, at, at CGI to do this. And it didn't really feel risky to me, right? It felt like the right thing to do. And the friend was like, you have got to quit describing yourself as risk averse because yeah. that's like the ultimate business risk. And so yeah, that seems pretty risky, <laughs> but it didn't feel that way, right? I mean, it's so Welcome to Building Birmingham Together, a show about Birmingham's business leaders' successes, failures, and lessons learned to encourage you to remember that dreaming is free, but the hustle is sold separately. I'm your host, Kim Lee, founder and CEO of Forge. Building Birmingham Together is brought to you today by Forge. Forge is Birmingham's first professional co-working space located in the heart of downtown Birmingham at the Pazitz Building. With private offices, open workspace, as well as meeting and event space, Forge is the place where small business owners, entrepreneurs, and remote workers come together, meet new people, and get work done. If you would like to find out more about Forge, you can visit workatforge.com and schedule a tour directly on our website. Today, we have Ryan Robinette on Building Birmingham Together. Ryan is the founder of Multiply, which can be found online at askmultiply.com. Multiply is a tech-enabled services firm, which uses operational and HR management principles to help companies of all sizes create a process from scratch or get more out of their current sales team. Ryan is is a graduate of Auburn University, and has a master's from UAB. Ryan began his career as an IT professional services consultant at Accenture before moving to CTS in 2006. Ryan was a key part of growing CTS around the Southeast, and CTS was acquired by CGI in 2017, and Ryan departed CGI in 2018 and founded Multiply, utilizing many of the key tenants that made CTS successful. Ryan and his wife, Ashley, have two teenage children. As you listen to Ryan's interview today, you will hear a consistent theme. Ryan has a passion for creating repeatable systems in order to grow people and to grow organizations. He has used this passion to create and grow Multiply. But these same principles can be applied to any organization, whether you are a tech company, nonprofit, or in the hospitality industry. As you listen today, I know that you will learn a lot about the importance of putting systems in place that help your people be the most successful. So Ryan, welcome to Building Birmingham Together. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Kim. Glad to be here. Good job with the intro. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm excited to have Ryan today for lots of reasons. But one is Ryan has been a member at Forge since almost the beginning of Multiply. He can kind of fill us the timeline in there. And so we have had an inside view of how he has built and grown Multiply. So I am excited that he gets to share his story with us today. And I, I I pay to be at Forge. I don't get paid to say this, but Forge is a great place to work. Uh, and, you know, Kim mentioned from our very beginning, I mean, we, um, you know, prior to us having any customers and we were sort of just an idea, we moved into Forge and got a shared uh, or, or got a, de- a dedicated desk. And uh, and so, yes, the folks at Forge have been a vital part of our, you know, our journey over the last three years. And for the record, I did not pay him to say that. So thank you. For the <laughs> that is true. Absolutely true. 
Well, so let's go back and um, I briefly touched on your background in the introduction, but just give us a a little bit of of a backstory about who you are, sure, where you got to where, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, so um, I I credit a lot of, uh, of, like I'm a career consultant is sort of how I I sum up my career and sort of the things that I've done. I started at Accenture, as you said, and then went to uh, move to to, uh, CTS in 2006 after, you know, four or five years at Accenture. And it was the exact opposite in scale. Accenture was, you know, multinational, publicly traded, like huge. And uh, and CTS at the time was one office in Birmingham. And, and CTS was computer technology solutions. So it was sort of Accenture Lite, a local um, IT professional services firm. And I, I say this with a ton of affection, um, but... You know, when I started CTS, it was not startup mode, but it was pure chaos mode. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and and it, it's uh, when I say this with affection, I mean it. It sounds harsh, but it's it's sort of harsh. But, you know, I, I didn't have the courage to quit CTS, but I was good enough not to get fired. But it was just pure chaos and it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And so but what we did really well was create repeatable processes in a custom environment um, that allowed us to scale. And so uh, we knew we had to create really good software solutions, you know, in a variety of different settings and whatever, all different sizes and scales of company. Um, but we also had to work on the internal things. And, and the thing that we we got really good at was creating people. We would create um, the pro- we, we built processes to where we could recruit out of the universities and turn scholastically smart students into professional contributors very quickly. And we could do that on the technical side and we could do that on the sales side, the, the revenue producing side. And so uh, and, and I had a, a part in both of those and, and really enjoyed that and sort of the positions that I had at CTS. And so um yeah, that that is sort of the secret that allowed us. We did when somebody would ask us what we did really well, we would say we do HR better than anybody. We could build people that allowed us. We could position them to be successful, um, and that allowed us to say we could build the best code or we could create the best solution because we could prove that we had the capabilities to do it. And um, and so. That was what made us really special, uh, and it created a really special environment that there was a ton of fun to to build and grow. Uh, and and then you know another large multinational publicly traded company um, caught wind of us and came in and 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 bought CTS and um, and and so uh, when I founded Multiply, it was like I really started thinking about what did I like to do best. And I boiled my life down to three bullet points, which was mm-hmm. position people to be successful, equip them to be successful, and then see them achieve personal results that create corporate gain. And mm-hmm. that became the thing that I, I was either going to dress my resume up and go try to find a place to do that for somebody or, you know, create my own thing. And I, you know, chose to create my own thing route and came up with the concept of multiply and plug into the sales world using a lot of the same tenants that we used 
to create the revenue producers at CTS. And it was formed around the, and our mission at Multiply is the three bullet points that, you know, position people for success, equip them to be successful and see them achieve personal results to create corporate gain and plug into the sales world to do that. So, okay. Tell us now what Multiply is, and then we can unpack that mission through what you do at Multiply. Yeah, so Multiply is um, basically we are a company that either A, helps companies stand up a sales process from scratch or B, get more out of the one that they've got. And so we serve startup companies um, and we serve, you know, the largest companies in Alabama. And so and we do it. Um, we, we started as a pure services firm um, and, and based on a methodology that sales is about repeating a conversation over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's and so companies can define why somebody buys something from them. And there's a repeatable process that goes with this that, you know, we have built a methodology around, you know, you have to create personal credibility that you transition to your corporate credibility. You have to differentiate. You have to know who you want to talk to. You have to understand your competition. And then you get to your products and services where you have to differentiate your products and services. You have ask that create you know, business level conversations and change the conversation from prop, uh, from sales to problem solving. Mm-hmm. And then you've got qualifying questions and then you've got to handle objections. And that happens over and over and over again. And it doesn't mm-hmm. matter the setting, whether I'm in a boardroom, whether I'm doing a Zoom call, whether I'm meeting somebody for coffee or the phone rings and somebody says, hey, what's multiply, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same exact conversation and you just draw on it at different levels of depth depending on the setting. And so uh, we take that methodology and help companies large and small figure that out so that salespeople then know what to say, when to say, and how to say it. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the sales process now starts with sort of CRM tools or customer relationship management tools and Salesforce or Dynamics and all these things. And the massive assumption in all of those tools is that, you know, they're really good at tracking activity. They're great at calculating pipeline and all this, you know, and and managing contact information. But the massive assumption in all those tools is that the sales team knows what to say and when to say and how to say it. And so we work with companies to help them eliminate those assumptions. And so, um, you know, we started off as a, as a, a pure services company and then over time, built technology um, that that now allows us to serve companies through the technology or, you know, and, and so we fancy ourselves as a tech enabled services firm. So mm-hmm. we come in, we provide services, we create and deliver through the technology or companies can come in at a much lower price point and engage with us for $15 a user per month and subscribe to the methodology and and use the tool set on their own through a SaaS based model. So Mm -hmm. we've got multiple ways that that we go about um, uh, delivering and, and, you know, we're three years in and, and so, you know, first year felt, you know, (laughs) it felt lucky, you know, (laughs) and so then year two, um, you know, we started seeing repeat clients come back. And so, uh, that created, you know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe we're not lucky. Maybe it's, maybe this is a pattern. And, uh, and then year three, you know, you throw COVID in there and oh, we've grown year <laughs> over year. And, um, 
you know, so so now we feel like we're really hitting our stride um, and, and sort of figuring out um, and, and we know exactly how we're going to deliver, whether we're walking into the largest company um, or whether we're working working with the startup companies. So mm-hmm. um, it's been a ton well, of fun. <laughs> well, I have several streams of questions for you on all the things that you just uh summarized perfect so i'm hoping i can make them go in an order that makes sense but um so but we'll see so (laughs) if not then maybe if if y'all are listening to this driving in your car and you just listen to little snippets at a time then that'll be great too um but the first question i want to go back to why when CGI got started or bought y'all and you thought, okay, this is time, you know, it's a good time to leave. Right. And you looked at what you loved to do. What made you decide to, to take the jump and to actually start something on your own? How, what was that process like rather than to go work for another company? Uh, So it's pretty funny. Uh, I mean, it, it like, it was, it's a very, it was a very difficult decision. Like I had a really great job. I was over five States and, you know, had a, you know, vice president <laughs> segment lead or something like I had a really good job. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it, it paid me well. And, and, um, but the, the thing that there's a lot that I know about myself through, you know, some things that I've dealt with and going to, I, I blogged on it last week about, oh. you know, the psychology of sales and psychology, but, but more so, you know, it, like I'm a huge fan of psychology and, 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 you know, so I have had to go through things that I've dealt with psychologists and learned about myself. And, and one of the things that was most impactful to me is that I realized that I'm a builder. And, mm-hmm. and when, and the, the real challenge that I had with working at a large company was it very much felt built. And so, mm-hmm. um, there's something about me that loves the adrenaline rush of walking into a meeting and that meeting could change the trajectory of the company. It could be life-changing there, you know, two ways, right? Up or down. And, and so, <laughs> Let's hope like, it's up. I, I, but it, uh, it can be down if you're not prepared. And mm-hmm. so I, I love that aspect of work. And, and so there's an, uh, there's an aspect of adrenaline that goes along with it that, um, um, that, that goes into that. Like, I love the process of, just pure problem solving, right? Not necessarily like you have your boundaries of things you can't necessarily cross, but within like reason, you can pull any lever to solve any problem that you want to. And, and in the larger companies, that's more difficult because they're established. And, you know, like, I'm not saying one person's bad or one person's good. Right. I mean, the, the, you know, they're, they're, the, the larger companies are obviously super successful. Right. But there's a level of, of rigidity that is built in and, and that make, that was difficult for me to deal with. Um, Mm -hmm. and and so, uh, you know, those things are what led me to think about, well, what's the least risky option? The least risky option is just to go do it myself. And so, (laughs) you know, it, it actually, you know, I had a a friend that I was talking this through and, and I, I, I described myself in a lot of ways as being risk averse. And, uh-huh. and so, and, and I, I feel like I am, 
but I walked away from, from a fantastic job at, at, at CGI to do this. And it didn't really feel risky to me. Right. It felt like the right thing to do. And the friend was like, you have got to quit describing yourself as risk averse because yeah. That's like the ultimate business risk. And so yeah, that seems pretty risky, <laughs> but it didn't feel that way, right. I mean, it's so, so anyway, how we process risk is a different, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I, I look at things like, you know, I like there's, there's marketability and there's, um, there's, there's job security, right. Mm-hmm. And, and most people think that they want job security. And, and job security, we don't necessarily, it's like the definition of it is you're not likely to be let go by your employer. Right. And, and, but the controller in that is the employer. And so then there's marketability, which is we are desirable to the market. And so we can, you know, if something happens, we can walk out and we have skills and we can get another job or we can, you know, earn a living on our own or whatever. And, and so that's sort of how I look at things. And, and, you know, I saw this as, you know, the path to to like marketability. Like I, I was going to b- continue to build my skill set, and from that standpoint, you know, it creates job security for me. And and so there's a, a part in that, and, and I, I think that's what you know we as employees or an, an employer should always be looking to create marketability for us and our employees and the people we encounter, not necessarily want them to feel job secure. So anyway, right. so there's a part of that, that, that helped me make that decision. But when I got out, I mean, it was so surprising that the startup world, like I, I'm fairly confident in what I'm doing. I, I I didn't, I knew it worked because we had proven it, but I didn't know it worked as a service or, you know, that other companies would buy. Right. Right. So that was that, you know, I didn't realize coming out how nerve wracking and, and, and I still deal with it every day. There are parts of this that prey on every insecurity that I've got and, you know, they bubble up, you know, new insecurities and right. There's a part of that that is, you know, dreadful, but there's mm-hmm. also a part of that that like gets me out of bed, right? Can I come beat up on that insecurity and not make it better, but at least get past it by, you know, doing the tasks that I have to do that that creates that insecurity. So, so why do you think, like, if you were working for a company as opposed to your own company, you're doing the same thing, the sales processes, training leaders, consulting. What what makes that insecurity so much more intense, do you think? So I have zero insecurity when it comes to like, like, and and now, especially like when we walk in, we know our methodology works. Like we, we can point you to, you know, say uh, like in you know corporate leaders that that you know that reference us and recommend us we can point you to people that we've worked with that say like it it, it you know it, it's not magic right but it, it's actually like it works like when mm-hmm. i'm at an event or i'm at in a meeting and there's just this repeatable process and i don't have to think about and sort of miss you know be mystical in my sales magic and it's just a repeatable process. We have, you know, the the industry, the the corporate leaders and, and startup leaders, as well as the salespeople that say the that will vouch for the methodology. So, 
we know our methodology works, right? And so where I find, you know, the most insecure insecurity now is that, you know, stress comes from being responsible for people, right? So now we're at the precipice of, of scaling. Like I'm looking at a job offer that I've got up on my, you know, my other monitor right now. And so, uh-huh. you know, bringing somebody in into a bootstrap company that does, you know, that, that you don't have, you know, we've got, you know, dollars and revenue and, you know, room to grow, but, you know, you don't have, you know, funds that you've raised and, and bringing somebody in to be responsible for them and their mortgage and all that kind of stuff and their family and, you know, all the mouths that they've got to feed, like, that's a really difficult proposition. And so like that, that's the, you know, that's the new one that we're dealing with right now. And it's, you know, it's, it's fun. Uh, It's hard, but it's fun. So we, we, I've had lots of people on this show in that same place and it is hard <laughs> taking on that responsibility and a lot goes with it. Okay. Yes. I'm changing gears here a little sure. bit. Um, and you did reference this. And so I know when you started multiply, you were just services, yep. but now you do have that tech element where you have a member, you have a, a monthly membership. Monthly, yep. I mean, a monthly license fee per user license. fee. Okay. So, and I know, I know, cause I, you work here that it was a little bit of hesitation to make, to take that shift and to see if you're really going to go the tech route. So can you just tell us about that process of, of how you realized maybe this would be a good idea and then went with it and then what it's like now Cause I know you got some pushback from, or some advice that it might not be a good idea, but what it's like to have a services and a tech side of your company. So, yeah. So, so the first thing was, is like, I left technology and I was like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm never going back there. <laughs> right. So, but <laughs> as one of my friend, you know, mentors says like, you know, you can't hide from yourself. Like every time you go somewhere, there you are. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, I mean, we uh, really came out and, and, and there's a couple of different things is, is we, our methodology was document heavy. We started building documents and, um, and, and one, and so the, we realized that when we, when you build this stuff in a document, like documents get stale quick, right? Especially if, 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 you know, multiply rights a document and you're supposed to maintain it. Right. Well, that just you know, like it just gets stale, like quick. It just gets put in the file shoulder. It gets emailed out, whatever. And then it just doesn't get get updated. And so in sales messaging, you know, it evolves quickly. Like, you know, every success you have makes your sales message better and easier to deliver. And, and sales is a risk proposition for the buyer. So the more success you have as a seller, you know, makes it less risky perceived on the buyer side. And so it's a constant evolution of a message. And so um, we saw or started seeing that our, our you know, the documents were, were sort of quickly getting stale. And we actually went out looking for a, you know, this is a sales enablement type platform. And we went out looking for something to partner with. We, we didn't want to build necessarily out of the gate. And, um, and, we couldn't find anything that that you know fit our needs or what we wanted to do. The the competitions that's out there is largely it's heavy, 
meaning there's a lot of clicks. It's sort of dovetails with CRM. It's an IT project to put in type thing. It's ultra gamified and gamification in and of itself isn't bad, but um, you know, like we strive to be business oriented and a lot of them look like they're logging into my kid's Xbox game or, <laughs> you know, go overboard on the promotion of competition. Uh-huh. Um, and in the sales world, that can be negative to the organization. And right. then, um, you know, and they're expensive. And, and so what we tried to be was, or, or what, when we went out there, we, we and, and by the way, there's very little adoption in the market for these types of tools. And so. Um, and so the question is, is does nobody want these tools? And we have to be honest with ourselves. We don't, we, we think we, we think otherwise based on the success that we're having. The other side of that is, has the right tool not been built yet? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so we built a lightweight frictionless entry, frictionless exit, ultra board, uh, business oriented, inexpensive on a per user basis platform. Mm-hmm. And, and so the thing about trying to do services and technology is they can be very distracting if they're not tightly coupled. And uh-huh. so like if, if the multiply platform didn't have, didn't dovetail with the multiply um, methodology on the services side, then all of a sudden we're trying to do two things as a small business and that can really splinter you. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, our platform, if we go in on services, we deliver through the platform. If we go, you know, and then if a client comes in and, and engages through a SAT, pure SaaS-based model, it's still, the you know, the questions that we have, the stand-up, it's still very, you know, tightly centric with the overall multiply process. And so even though they're, they're sort of going it alone, as we say. And so, uh, you know, our, what we, we're, what we call a, a tech enabled services firm. So do we do technology and, and, and do services to drive a user base that pays on a monthly basis, or do we, uh, you know, do services and, and, or, or do we bring in SaaS based users and offer services as a, as an, as an, a continuation? And the answer is, I mean, it doesn't matter. Yes, we do both, you know, customers want to hear one thing. Investors may want to hear the other, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, our idea is that we've got a a paying user base that's paying monthly and we've got some services, you know, contracts that we deliver for folks that haven't thought through the problems or don't want to think through the problems and need help training their teams. So, Mm -hmm. so our, to answer your question, our platform is tightly coupled with our services. So Mm -hmm. we can do both without being distracted. Right. So so if you were to, t- if, if a listener was to take anything away, it would sure. be, if you are in that position, really thinking through, does this tech side ma- marry well with the services side? Like, do they really work hand in hand or are you trying to sell two separate products? If it's two separate products. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of interesting going back to like sort of my DNA and how I saw software being built as a, Mm -hmm. as a consultant. And so, excuse me, we saw, and, and like we, like one of the things that, that when we're talking to somebody, we're always warning them against like building a technology in search of a problem. And and so, you know, you don't want to build a technology and hope that their problem exists, right? We want to know that the problem exists. Right. 
and then be able to fit technology into it. And that is a very common problem that happens. And Mm -hmm. one of the ways that you solve that problem is through manual process, right? Mm -hmm. If I can do a manual process for you and you pay me for it, then there's a problem. And if I can fit technology to automate that problem or to make that problem easier or more scalable or, you know, you know, eliminate some of the manual work, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden I've got something that, that you potentially need or that you do need. And then I can potentially go sell it to other people like you. Right. And so, um, and, and that was, you know, seventies, eighties, nineties, you know, even early two thousands, like we saw product companies dealing inside the enterprise companies and we would build partnerships with them mm-hmm. where they would come in and they would have, you know, a services arm to a product that they built, right? But they right. started as a services company. Do it. We saw it a lot around quality assurance. Mm-hmm. Companies would come in and do quality assurance and then build tools that allowed them to do their service better. And then all of a sudden, they had a tool that they could drive license fees on and a service that they could charge for. And they built this this tool based on the revenue that they were collecting that then allowed them to scale more efficiently across other companies and deliver to other companies. And so I've seen that. I've been a part of that. And and so from a multiply perspective, that's just what we're doing, right? I mean, you look at like the super, like look at IBM, you look at CGI, you look at Accenture, like, I mean, Microsoft, right? Yeah. Products, services, right? They do both. And Mm -hmm. so, um, and, you know, we saw it a lot with Microsoft, like if you bought an enterprise agreement or a corporation would buy an enterprise agreement and, you know, they would put an enterprise architect or a team of architects in place at the company to help the company's onboard into, you know, and be more proficient users of the technology. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the, the model is there, um, mm-hmm. you know, there, the, the model has changed, you know, especially in the startup world where you've got private equity that, that, you know, will get into the venture rounds where you, you know, you basically fund an idea and, mm-hmm. All of that's fantastic. Like I'm not pro one or against the other, um, but there are various options out there. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that we never will raise money. We might. Um, but right now it, it's the, hey, we're using the revenue that we're driving from both licenses and um, uh, from uh, licenses and services to reinvest into the technology and then also, you know, pay our salaries and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, we we don't necessarily have the need to raise right now, and that creates some additional options that we've got. So if there was somebody who was out there who was thinking about starting their own company and maybe it's there's a tech aspect to it or not, like what kind of advice from what you've seen on enterprise side and what you've experienced with Multiply, what kind of advice would you give that person? So here's my thing. Don't be secretive about your idea, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody else is like nobody's sitting around thinking about the multiply idea, right? There's plenty of people <laughs> that do that think about it or whatever, but like, and, and there's a book that that I'm not a managed by book. Like most of all of the things that we've done are, are basically school of hard knocks and experience. Um, but there is one really good tenant. It was, it's out of the startup playbook. And, and and before you think you have a good idea, get 30 opinions from people that you don't trust on your <laughs> idea. And, and, right. and, and, and 
like, so when, and the point of that is, and the, you can't just get an opinion, right? And this is sort of where we help startups is you've got to come up with, with like a real message to where you articulate an idea, you state a problem, you figure out how you're going to solve it. And you don't really have anything to sell, but you put the real sales message out and you do it and, you know, 30 times, and then you calculate that feedback such that, you know, you know that if you were to bring a product or a service to market, would there potentially be interest in buying it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the people that we know and love and trust, they're for us, right? And so a lot of times they're not going to give us, you know, they're not going to tell us what we need to hear a lot of times. And right. so the market is really cruel. It doesn't care. So before you think you've got a good idea, talk to the market. Like talk to, you know, talk to people that, that would potentially fund it, but also talk to customers and or potential customers to see what their reception would be. Mm -hmm. So I went through a program here in Birmingham called Co-Starters. Uh -huh. I think you're pretty familiar with Co-Starters. And one of the things that you had to do every week is you got stars <laughs> like in elementary school next year and about how many customers you had talked or potential customers you had talked to that week. And you're right. Like it's easy to talk to people that, you know, but to start up conversations with people that you don't know or could care less about you or your ideas, like it's a lot more intimidating, but it is how you get that true feedback. <laughs> Correct. And so one of the things that that sort of the multiply methodology is about creating consistency. Right. Yeah. And so if you're going to talk to somebody about Forge, you need to carry the same message every single time. And, mm -hmm. and because what you like, if you don't, then you don't know, like sometimes you'll you'll deliver it better or worse. But if it's the same message and you generally get your points across, you're going to get you're going to be able to, to sort of, you know, calculate the feedback that you're getting. If you're inconsistent and you're like, well, Kim runs forward, so I'm going to hit her with this message and Ryan's the multiply guy. So I'm going to hit him with this message. Then all of a sudden you're inconsistent and you get, you don't know what works and what doesn't work. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so that's really important for, for companies, large and small or startups, which is you have to be very consistent so the, the results that come back are consistent, either consistently good, consistently bad, but it's all cons based on, on one message that's being delivered. Right, right. Um, okay, I'm switching gears a little sure. bit. Um, so this is, I'm trying to think how to frame this, um, but so I know in Birmingham right now, there's a lot of job growth, but there's also a big emphasis on finding talent and attracting new talent. Um, and I know that with the mission of Multiply and also yep. what you try to take to your clients, you have good insight on how to get talent and how to, you know, what talent we have here in Birmingham. So would you just share, because I think it's a great perspective, especially if people are growing and they're needing to hire how they look at hiring and pers perspective uh, hires, sure. um, but how you think through that process. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's really what we do. Like, so it's what we do, right? And our whole, when we're talking to somebody, like we've got two case studies. One is like the easiest case study we deal with is 
creating a predictable result for onboarding a new person. Like that, we can do that. And so uh, the other case study is, is obviously dealing with experienced people and, and, and building them, you know, nobody's born knowing what your company does. So you have to teach them, you have to eliminate the assumption that because they work for a, you know, a competitor, a customer or whatever, like they're not just going to know what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and whether they've worked for you for a while or, or not, like, you know, sometimes you can't you, you have to make sure that they know and, and, you know, they carry your message consistently. You know what success looks like and can create a path for them to, to, to be successful. And so, like, let's start with the new hire, sort of young people, college age type mm -hmm. Um like I think Birmingham, and 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 this is not just what I think. Like we, you know, and CGI still doing it today. The people that that were my old co cohorts that, but we built CTS based on using the colleges and the universities around Birmingham, around Atlanta, around Nashville, and so we opened markets based on the universities that would feed those markets, and so, and that was a key driver for for how we opened offices and. What we knew was that if they had good MIS, good computer science, good software development, then, then you know, and each university was a little bit different. So we would get to know the universities and sort of the, the quote, personalities of the departments and then recruit heavily out of the departments. So, and then we would build the path for success, be it for a consultant, be it for a revenue producer to, to you know, because we were the sun. Right. We knew what we were doing. We were passionate about it. We as leaders mm -hmm. and that person that we just hired was Pluto. And so we knew that if you if left to themselves, some people are going to figure it out and sort of be a unicorn and figure out how to work towards the, the, the passionate core. But majority of them are going to sit out there and spin and just go to the next opportunity or not feel like they were going to be successful and leave or whatever. And so. Um, but the university systems around Birmingham and Alabama, they they have they have tons of talent that comes out and you can create companies, even technical companies, if you know how to onboard them. And that's the mm -hmm. hard part. Right. And, and so, you know, you we would create boot camps that they would go through uh, on the technical side. And, um, and and so but but we scaled using college-based students that that are that Birmingham is uniquely sort of you know positioned to pull in because everybody cares about football and you know there's a you know Birmingham's not Atlanta uh and so there's enough to do here but it's not you know just this unwieldy place to to get around and so you know there's a lot of draws to Birmingham that you can recruit to and then it's about you know creating the path to success to sell that recruit on right. why your company can make them successful. And so, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, on the sales side, which is, you know, where we plug in, which is like, we build that path to help companies onboard, you know, new hires, be it experienced or inexperienced. And, mm -hmm. and so in the sales world, there's, there is, uh, it's not like the IT space, right? In the IT space, like it is really, really, really tight. In the sales world, you can find people that are looking to make moves and, and pull them in. And, and, you know, the top salesperson is not out there pushing their resume on LinkedIn, 
right? They, right. they have, they're, they're highly paid, they're coveted by their organization, you know, so you might get them, but you may have to overpay to get them and you, and, and then the finances may not work, but even still that doesn't guarantee success. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so the, the key is being able to create the predictable result when you bring somebody on how do you teach them what you want them to go do so that then when you're managing them through their activity they take care of that activity and act with speed and haste because they're comfortable doing it right. versus acting reserved and slow because they don't know what to say right yeah and so you know from just going back to your original question like the talent exists here, like it, like it's hard to find, but it, you know, the uh, creating, you know, using the university systems and figuring out a path forward to show them success and how to be successful and continuously build their skills, which creates marketability, which, you know, creates, you know, when you have marketable employees, you also have mobile employees. So you have to keep them, but right. that's a great problem for you to have because you've got good people. Nobody yep. ever says, you know what? I need to go hire the most job secure, secure person I can find. They say, I need to go hire the most marketable person. And so, you know, when you hire that person or you build that person, you have to retain them too, right? right. Which, so does that answer your question or did yeah. I ramble too much? No, no, that answers it. Okay. I just think it's a good perspective uh, when thinking about hiring and training and who you hire and what you're looking for as opposed to what you can give that person and how you can train them. Yeah, you like I'm a big believer in there is no perfect fit and you hire the best person possible and then you position that person to be successful and then equip them to be successful and then achieve, allow them to achieve the things that they want to achieve that benefit the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, Okay, so the title of this podcast is Building Birmingham Together. Mm -hmm. So my question for you is what role do you see that Multiply plays in building up Birmingham? Yeah, so I'm a Birmingham native. Like, you know, I, I I love Birmingham. I'm, you know, sort of an apologist for it. And and so um, uh I, I like to tell the Birmingham story because I, I truly do believe that, um, you know, it is a fantastic place to build a career, to, to raise a family and, and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the role that we have is when we go in, we, we talk to as many people as we can. And when we go in, we make people better. Right. And mm-hmm. so when other people are better, then, then, then that makes their companies better. And, you know, on the revenue producing side, if they're selling more than Birmingham benefits, the company right. benefits, you know, and so it, when, when I love the scaling process, like mm-hmm. that's what I love. Right. And so, and I get sort of gets back to when, you know, I, I left CGIs, I love the scaling. I, I love the process of growing a business. I love the, the process of sort of, you know, And so within like multiply is built around how do we help companies grow? Mm. And and so how do we help ourselves grow? And then how do we help other companies grow? And, um, and and so, uh, you know, that we, we see it as, as our responsibility to, you know, we like, we, we serve, you know, the, the contracts that we sign, 
but those contracts, you know, be it through SaaS models or through, you know, through uh, services, put us in touch with people. And when we do our jobs well, we allow people to be better, which benefits Birmingham. Yep. Um, okay, one final question sure. for you okay. uh, that I always ask. Uh, a lot of it selfishly because I just like to hear, but I figure if I like to hear these stories, sure. other people do too. Um, are just some lessons that you've learned over the years about running or growing an organization or just being a leader that you apply to your the way you operate day by day? Yeah, so... That's a that's a wide. I mean, there's so many things, right? I, I mean, pick like, one or two. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, like, they're, they're like my. I have nightmares about the the and like built multiply around one meeting, right? And and it was I was walking in and I was 26 years old and there was some lady named Nancy and and I thought that I was going to just walk in and I was having to pitch a request for change. It was $50,000, you know, deal. And I was like, I'll just, I got this, whatever. And I got my lunch eaten. Like it was horrible. And, and so like, literally I, I, I was, you know, <laughs> my best buddy named Philip miles was standing over my shoulder and I got like twisted in a knot and he had to pick up the phone for me and be like, Hey guys, you know what? We'll call you back. And, and I was like, that will <laughs> never happen again. And, and so like, that that moment was so key to to because I, I had been able to sort of just wing it to that point. Right. And then I got in over my head and couldn't get out. And it, it could have been really bad for my career. Um, uh, but but, you know. That moment right then, like it, I was never going to walk into a room where I wasn't prepared. And mm -hmm. and so. Like that is what, you know, it's sort of when I was in, you know, position to make some decisions at CTS, like that was the story that I told to people is that like, you it's not, it happened to me and it's not going to happen to you. And, and so, you know, that same, it's the same thing around multiply, which is when we're talking to, to, to people and, and sort of our, is like, we walk in prepared, like, you know, and it's not, it's, it, it's a repetitive conversation that happens over and over and over again that we can learn. And, and so we go in and we do it and we apply it in different ways, but we are going to be prepared every single time we walk in the room. So like, mm -hmm. that is one of the, the big things that, that I like look back and sort of foundational in sort of the way I act. And then the way that, you know, I acted when I was a managing a large team and then sort of apply it. I mean, multiply is built around that conversation. And, you know, I don't know where Nancy is and I don't know her last name, but, but like, she was very she important to my career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then it's, you know, there's so many things that, that, um, that we think are going to happen and, mm -hmm. and like that we can't plan for. And, and, I thought when I walked out uh, and, and you know, that, you know, the tech scene in Birmingham would be like, oh, my gosh, thank goodness Ryan's here. And, uh, you know, and, and that didn't necessarily happen. But what did happen was a lot of the largest companies in Birmingham were our first customers. And so yeah. um, and, and and so all of a sudden, like it, it it didn't dawn on me until after, you know, later in the fact, like wait, hold on, how do wait, we've got our market and now how do we work backwards, right? And right. so 
you know, the, 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 the sort of the thought process that I had for multiply coming out and, and it didn't happen the exact same way that I thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of it deals with, you know, being very consistent and then learning from the consistency, learning from the yeses, learning from the nos, and then figuring out. And part of our problem with the startup world was our price point, which is why we came up with technology so that we could be lighter and 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 so uh, and, and deal with a smaller company base, you know, a little bit easier. And so, um, you know, we didn't sacrifice what we wanted to be. We just, you know, found our our corporate. And then, you know, figured out how to work back down market. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and so there, there's from a, 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 you know, my standpoint, those aha moments happen every day. And you can't like just, you know, sort of you, you have to prioritize them. You can't like look at the disco ball and chase all of the bright, shiny things <laughs> that is, as it spins. And so, you know, you have to be careful about that, but you do have to stay you know, in tune with the yeses and with the nos, right? Um, so that you can pivot your company in an organized manner, as opposed to just chasing bright lights, right? And so that, those are sort of the, like, I know, you know, the, the, the conversation with Nancy, when I was, you know, 26, 27 years old, you know, like those are that that was very, very pivotal, pivotal to me. And I applied every single day, and and then the preparation that I learned from that allows you as a company owner and leader of a company to adjust the company based on the preparation and the consistency that you carry such that you're not constantly pulled in different directions that you know where you want to go. Right. So. Um, well, thanks. Okay. So I do have a few just rapid fire questions. So just short. I'll try. First of thought. Okay. Okay. So what are, I'm going to ask two top two books, even though you said you're not a big book person and I already knew the one that you were going to mention. So you can say the same one again, but that you recommend or that has, has, um, that has had a big, big impact on you running your business. Okay. Um, so there's, there's, there's one, all right, there's two, right. There's one called the challenger cell. Um, and, and, and that, that was good. It wasn't new to me. It was sort of, but like it reinforced a lot of who I am and sort of like, and that was sort of like, I don't look at sales as sales. I look at like good salespeople are problem solvers. And so that, that, that sort of got towards that, which was, was, was good. Um, then there's another book called the startup playbook and, I really like that one. And, and it's really the, about the only one that I recommend because it, it's not a how-to book, like how-to books are, and sort of, you can tell when people are managing by books and that sort of thing. This book was really good because it, and my wife actually gave it to me for, for father's day or something when I was quitting and starting my own thing. And, <laughs> and, and it was just a, like, it just goes through sort of all the different, you know, the personalities of founders and the funding mechanisms and the things that you should do to think about your company. And it's not a, Hey, go do this. Uh It's a, Hey, just think about all these different things. And so um, that was a a really good, those two books were were good. Okay. What about, um, do you have any podcasts that you like to listen to? Are you a podcast listener? Yeah. I mean, I am. Um, So, um, 
I, I like um, Dan Cummings' Time Suck. Okay. And, and so um, he is a comedian that um, does a lot of like true crime stuff. And, um, and, and so he, he's got a, um, a, a really good sort of, you know, delivery. It's funny. Um, but it's also like he goes and researches based on what his audience does. So that's a good one. Um, Uh um, the other thing that I would tell you, go back to the book, right? So there's a book called man's search for meaning by Viktor Frankl, Uh um, which is like, it's, it's a hundred pages. Everybody should read it, but it's about sort of the power of positive thought. And, and, and like it goes, he was a, a, a psychologist in the Holocaust. And so uh, he developed a lot of his theories while in the, the Nazi death camps. And so, um, but a lot of what we talk about is controlling what we can control and not basing success based on what a buyer does, but based on how well you performed in that meeting based on the things that you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a, there's a psychological aspect to that, that, that we like to implement. So that, that would be, that's probably number one, by the way. Okay. So it just popped, sorry for the, but oh, you know, that's okay. Dan Cummins is good. Podcast is good. Um, and, um, but I, you know, I, I'll skate around the podcast network, but I'm, you know, obviously building Birmingham together is, is my favorite. So. That's right. That's a good answer. Good yes, answer. Yes. Okay. Last, last question. And then we are done. Okay. Is, uh, what, what is y'all's favorite Birmingham restaurant since we are a very foodie city? So my favorite restaurant is local 39. Oh, and so Never local 39. Yeah, it's uh, it's on the Homewood Strip uh, right there in Edgewood. And it's a little small sort of dive has a real, you know, sort of local feel to it. And uh-huh. um, so Jonathan and Lindsay own it. I was the um, the first paying customer there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and it's my my fish. I have a mount old plaster mounted fish and my fish is over the bathroom there. So, oh, okay. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. Not so, many yeah, so people I'm, can claim that. Yeah. So that, that's my, I, I, if I'm going somewhere, that's where I want to go. That's where you're going. Okay. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being on Building Birmingham Together. I've loved watching you grow, multiply, and all of the local businesses and not local businesses that you've really helped with your systems and technology. So thank you for the work you're doing and for sure, being right. on here today. And glad to do it. And I love the people at Forge. Y'all are great. And uh, <laughs> like I said, hey, I, I pay to be there. I don't get paid to say it, but it's a great place to work. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Building Birmingham Together is brought to you today by Forge. If you are tired of working from home and looking for a professional place to work to get work done, Forge is your solution. You can visit workatforge.com to schedule your tour today.